Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Games Rig and welcome to 1993. This is Under Consultation, an episode by episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, eating chilies exclusively for mouth and bottom burps. And questioning whether my haircut is good enough, I am Ash Versus. This episode aired on the 7th of January 1993. One year to the day that the very first episode of Games Master aired on Channel 4, Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You is still top of the chart and will be for another seven weeks, but we have a new film at the top of the UK box office, our first hit of 1993, A Few Good Men. You ever served in an infantry unit, son? No, sir. Ever served in a forward area? No, sir. Ever put your life in another man's hands, ask him to put his life in yours? No, sir. We follow orders, son. We follow orders or people die. It's that simple. Are we clear? Yes, sir. Are we clear? Crystal. All those having business with this general court martial, Stand forward and you shall be heard. The facts of the case are these. On midnight of September 6th, the accused entered the barracks room of their platoon mate. They woke him up, tied his arms and legs with tape, forced a rag into his throat. A few minutes later, a chemical reaction caused his lungs to begin bleeding. He drowned in his own blood and was pronounced dead at 37 minutes past midnight. Do you think Santiago was murdered? Private Santiago is dead, and that is a tragedy. But he is dead because he had no code. He is dead because he had no honor. And God was watching. How do you feel about that theory? Sounds good to me. I'll knock it all down to involuntary manslaughter. No deal, we're going to court. No, you're not. Why not? Because you'll lose. And it's a film that will be with us for a few good weeks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Very nice. Starting strong. It's all downhill from here. <laughs> but what a film to start the year with. When you look at the cast, you've got Tom Cruise, Jack Nicholson, Demi Moore, Kevin Bacon, Kevin Pollack, Cuba Gooding Jr. Kiefer Sutherland is in it. I haven't seen it in years, you know. Like, I can't even remember the last time I saw A Few Good Men. Well, me neither. 
Diamondism. <laughs> I really actually wanted to try and rewatch it before we recorded this episode, but despite not being able to go out, <laughs> life found a way <laughs> yeah. to, to stop me from getting a chance to watch it. It was adapted for the screen by Aaron Sorkin from his play of the same name. It also included contributions from legendary script doctor William Goldman. Did it really? Yeah, yeah. Mr. Oh, wow. Princess Bride. Yeah. And it revolves around the court-martial of two Marines who are charged with the murder of another Marine and everything that their lawyers go through as they prepare a case to defend their clients. It did get some criticism because hmm. while it's a courtroom drama, it doesn't leave much in the way of mystery and intrigue. It does spell it out for the audience. It is very much a courtroom drama that is targeting the broadest possible audience because they know the star power that they've got in this film. People are going to see this film just because of Tom Cruise, just because of Jack Nicholson, just because of Demi Moore, just because of Kevin Bacon. Yeah. I mean, Cuba Gooding Jr. probably pulled in a few as well. Yes. But we've got it for a few weeks and I've only got a very limited amount to say about it. So let's just leave it there for now. Yeah, I was going to say, we'll bring up the John Cena JBL recreation of it to lead up to WrestleMania 21 for a future episode. I'd like an answer to the question, Judge. Enough, or I'll hold you in contempt. Did you order the Bashams to interview? You don't have to answer that question. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled to them. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Son, we live in a world where I am the champion. And this championship must be guarded by my men at whatever cost. We've got two episodes for you to attempt to do that in, and two episodes for me to try and avoid it. <laughs> There's no real big game releases, so is there anything going on in the magazines? Well, it's a new month, new year, new magazines. You've already heard what we had to say about the debut issue of Games Master magazine, but there was also a new issue of C&VG on the shelves, and there was a great mixture of interesting news... Factual news, notice how I too do differentiate on those, <laughs> yeah. and complete nonsense. Okay. Let's start with the interesting slash factual, as the first thing on their news page is a big, almost full-page article on the Amstrad Mega PC. <gasps> oh, we've actually used an advert for that in this podcast. Isn't it typical? You get stuck into your favourite Sega games on your Amstrad Mega PC, speakers blasting out in Sega stereo and... Sorry, son, I need to use a PC. I've got work to do. So he uses a 386SX computer running at 25 megahertz for word processing, database, spreadsheets. What a waste of 40 megabytes of hard drive. The new Amstrad Mega PC, just £999.99. Brilliant for business, mega for games. I think that the idea of marrying a Mega Drive and a PC together is actually fairly smart. I also think that pairing it with Amstrad was pretty daft. <laughs> it is essentially a bog-standard beige PC with a Mega Drive in it. Mm. And that's it. It's not actually that clever. It is yeah. two machines in one case. It's the sort of thing you see people making on YouTube all the time now where they kind of squeeze a Nintendo 64 down into a handheld yes. or, you know, wedge a Raspberry Pi into a toaster or something like that. <laughs> yeah. But the basic specification, in addition to a Mega Drive, is you get a 386 base PC. It's got an ad-lib sound card. Mm, so it kind of mm. went the other way from Sound Blaster. The Mega Drive joypad, an analog joystick, Stereo monitor with built-in speakers. Ooh. That was actually a little bit fancy yeah. for the time. Uh, VGA graphics compatibilities, which for 92 was actually a little bit above. I'm pretty sure our family computer that we had was like CGA at best. Uh, MS-DOS, 
One megabyte of RAM. One megabyte, Luke. <laughs> and a 40 meg hard drive. I think my mouse has got more RAM than that. My comb has got more <laughs> RAM than that. But the idea was you could use it as a PC or you could shut it down, flip it over, and it could be a mega drive. And that was about it. The one thing it had going for it, it did actually use VGA to transfer the video signal from the PC to the monitor. So at that point in time, it was some of the best picture quality you were going to get on a Mega Drive. Unfortunately, it was also beige. Mm. There are some really good videos about this on YouTube, but one of my favourite ones is on a channel called the Retro Tech Archive, which is based out of the Centre for Computing History, which is a volunteer-run museum that is one of many that's been really struggling during the lockdown. Mm. So you should absolutely go to YouTube, you should check out their video on this, check out some of their other videos, and do anything you can to support them. They definitely deserve it because they're not only preserving the history of computers and games from the UK they're preserving from around the world they've got virtual reality machines there going back to some of the stuff that we've seen in Games Master mm. and I am looking forward to paying a visit to them once things calm down I feel yeah I feel ashamed that I haven't been there yet and I <laughs> need to rectify that yeah yeah but the one thing I can say about CNVG is it's actually got a fair amount of news for the start of a new year. Just underneath the article on the Mega PC, there's news that there is a new version of Street Fighter on its way called Street Fighter Turbo. <gasps> oh, Street Fighter Turbo! Yeah, that is listed as a scoop, and you know what? They're not wrong. But it's not the only Street Fighter 2 news. There's another news article that says Street Fighter 21. And the article says, We're always being asked if there's going to be a Street Fighter 3. Well, hold on to your trousers. It already exists. Hmm... Let go of your trousers. No, it doesn't. Because what they're talking about here are the Hong Kong editions. Oh, right. Things like Street Fighter, Black Belt Edition, Rainbow Edition, Champion of Champions Edition. And they're listing all of the common hacks that appeared in those games. Faster gameplay, Ryu and Ken being able to perform mid-air fireballs, which can be curved across the screen. Mm. The Dragon Punch having greater reach including being able to interfere with characters mid-flight like Vega. And they say that there are now at least 13 versions of the game available for the Super Famicom that also feature similar game modifications. But they do point out they are dodgy pirate versions of the original. Okay. And Nintendo will probably come down on anyone possessing a copy like a ton of bricks. I was going to say, I'd have been very surprised if they'd have printed that not knowing that they weren't ROM hack versions. It is the sort of thing that they only really make clear at the end. And they do actually have a screenshot from one of them as well, which kind of surprises me because it does show Ken throwing a fireball midair towards Blanker on Dalsim stage. Hmm. And it occurred to me, given when this came out, bet they got a copy at Games Master Live. <gasps> yes. Probably from yes. that same arsehole that ripped me off with The Simpsons. It's cut out of our Games Master Live episode that we did, but we did cover one of the stalls that was selling Street Fighter 2 Black Belt Edition. So yeah, they probably did get a hokey copy from it then. And lastly for the magazine section, sticking with the Street Fighter news, a little bit of information that Quickshot have got a six-button fighting stick coming out for Ooh. the Super Nintendo called the Top Fighter. And you know what? There were a lot of fighting sticks that came out for the Super Nintendo. I had one. It was kind of rubbish. This one is actually what you would now consider your classic fighting stick. The build is there. This is the kind that you already get from Mad Cats or Hori or any of those kind of mainstream fight stick makers now. But it also included the ability to program moves into the memory. 
Really? Yeah. Basically, you could now configure it with all your Dragon Punch's input already and then just spam that button. Wow. Can you imagine having that and then not telling your friends? Just absolutely gaming them. I was going to say, particularly if you're playing as someone like Zangief, whose moves are absolutely nailed to do on the SNES, and then absolutely do... All you've got to do is do it once, program it in, and then you can just spam that button and just keep doing those twisting pile drivers and take them out. Arguably one of the most appealing things about this stick, other than the ability to absolutely cheat your friends out of victories, is it's on sale now. I mean, Mm. not now, then now. Yeah. You know what I mean. But it was on sale now at £60. Now, the other main fight stick available at the time, and usually only via import, was the Capcom one, and that went for 90 Yeah. So you're talking 30 quid cheaper and the ability to bugger up your friends. Well, the Games Master Holiday Rig New Year Funkathon has just drawn to a close. The campers laughed, cried, quaffed, and shared testosterone profiteroles. Andy Murray, she was there, inviting in the first footers of all shapes and sizes to come inside. So it is with very fragile countenances we welcome everybody's hair of the dog, the Games Master. Well, if you're listening to the clips of this and you think that Dominic Diamond sounds a little bit hungover and perhaps are not at his 100% best, that's because the Games Rig New Year Funkathon has come to a close and Auntie Marisha was inviting all sorts of sizes to come inside. So Dominic Diamond is feeling very fragile this week and I'd imagine so is Auntie Marisha. And I'd imagine anyone that was at the party is feeling fragile because holy shit, seven days. Yeah, I know. Games Master has also been on the source, and he's feeling a bit worse for wear. I'd imagine someone of his size is probably going to take a fair number of drinks to get him sozzled. He probably just has kegs of brown ale that they just tip into one of those vents or ports or, I don't know, some sort of protuberance. I was going to say, you know that one that comes out that spits fire? It does that, but it's actually just spitting brandy at him. (laughs) Maybe that's actually what the fire is. It's just if there's an electrical short rather than the brandy, it flambes him a little. But yes, as we go into the introduction to the first challenge, he does beg our forgiveness. And again, much like the New Year's episode with its panto antics, much like the Christmas episode with its Christmas carol, I do like when they're building a little bit of a narrative, just just a framing, like that they're working around knowing when these episodes would go out. Well, speaking of Games Master and his fragile state, let's head on over to our Chrome Dome and find out what our first challenge is. Welcome on to the Games Resort. You will have to pardon me if I seem a little um, out of sorts this evening. I think the festive season has left me a little um, the worse for wear. Anyway, tonight's first sortie is an antipodian jaunt on Tasmania. To satisfy me, the Tasmanian devil needs to be guided through the second level of Badlands in under two minutes. Don't forget to whirl like a cyclone as... Confound it. Dash those blasted seagulls. Oh, well, good luck then. Well, we are playing Tasmania, a game that is very, very nostalgic to me. One of the first games I had for my Mega Drive. You've got to get through these. I mean, he says get through the second level, but it's actually the first three stages of the game, including the boss and then a seagull. Oh, you meant on Games Master. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. yeah, I was just like, I don't remember that bit of the game. I mean, Taz (laughs) takes on a car. It doesn't take on any seagulls, but I'd imagine given how hostile that island is, he probably got pooped on from the sky at least a couple of times. But holy shit, given the size of Games Master that we have estimated and the size of this bird how big was this seagull oh no like rodan we're talking (laughs) you know 
<laughs> this is Rodan on its way back from fighting Godzilla. Uh, the Tasmania, a game I absolutely love. I've, I've got so many nostalgic memories of playing this game, particularly one of the later stages is based on a mineshaft where you've got to take elevators up to sort of find your way around. But some of the elevators are knackered ones and they just drop down and they hurt you. And I remember me and my brother with a big A3 pad drawing a map of this stage and working out where the dud elevators are so we can get the best route through and not die so much. But, you know, you die, you die, you die, you get your continues. I don't think we ever fully finished the map. I don't think I've ever finished this game. I did take a look at a couple of run-throughs on YouTube and there are people out there completing it in 38 minutes. Oh yeah, it's not a long game. I mean, that shows by this challenge. The fact is, it's essentially complete the first three stages in two minutes yeah it's probably quite a quick one to speed run I actually did go back and play this before we came down to record I just wanted to remind myself of what it was like to play the game and I'll talk a little bit more about my game playing experience of it once we've got through the challenge but suffice to say I still very much enjoyed it even though I don't think it's a particularly great game it may not have been a great game but it was a popular one it rode the top of the charts for a good couple of weeks over in the UK and even got kind of an unofficial sequel yeah Escape from Mars and there was actually meant to be an official sequel called Tasmania 2 and it was going to have an ice symmetric viewpoint ah, now the way Taz spins I can actually see that kind of working in a marble madness spinball dizzy yeah. kind of way probably better than the platformer does I do remember playing it as a kid though and just wanting to use the spin the entire time because that's what Taz does I was a big fan of Tasmania the, the cartoon which is such a great show <laughs> Welcome to it, land its way under, down under. The sky's always yellow in rain or shine. Down in Tasmania, come to Tasmania. When Topsy needs Tubby, they start to spin like a Tasmanian devil in his closest kin. Down in Tasmania, come to Tasmania. That I just wanted to spin the whole time, but actually, it's the it's not the most effective way of travel because you can often spin the stuff that you need to pick up. You can easily spin away life. You can spin away those chilies. It's not the most ideal method of travel when you're doing it on a tight time limit it does help to do the jump and then spin because that's yeah. a nice little kind of dive bomb but it does have a good amount of horizontal travel and tonight's tasman devil from the cheesy waste of cheshire please welcome nick kapoor <laughs> now nick how confident are you tonight on the challenge oh i'm fairly confident but there's a very strict time limit so i'm gonna have to speed through okay and that car at the end's quite tough yeah well, we wish you all the best, Nick. If you'd like to prop yourself down on the games playing chair, we'll get ready to start. Well, hoping for some horizontal travel from Cheshire, it's Nick Kapoor playing the game. He's fairly confident and is wearing a lovely old school Man United shirt. You say he's wearing a lovely old school Man United shirt, but joining Dom in the commentary box, it's Neil West from Mega and he has one of those Sega pullovers. Oh, yeah. I have an eBay watch for Sega pullovers in the hope that I see one of these because this is a thing of beauty. I'm amazed that no one has emulated it, including Sega. They've got all sorts of retro branding. They've got all sorts of shit on their side. Yeah, there's loads of stuff. I bought loads of bad t-shirts from them. I would have thought that this would be on there. Yeah, we buy the bad t-shirts. Now give us a good one, Sega. Come on. <laughs> and aiding and abetting me for this challenge is Neil West from Mega. Welcome, Neil. Thanks, Dominic. It's fab to be here. Okay, Neil. Now, this is quite a tough challenge. He's got to complete both parts of Section 1 and wallop the end of level car. Any tips? 
Yeah, um, there's a long way to go. Um, all he's got to remember is that if he's spinning when he jumps, then he covers an awful lot more ground in a lot less time. So I'd recommend that. And don't eat bombs. Uh, and he, as you were saying earlier, suggests doing the spinning and jumping at the same time because it covers more ground. And of course, very, very clear do not eat the bombs because they will reduce your health and are an absolute nuisance in the game. It's just good advice for life. Don't eat bombs. Well, in a speed run like this as well, eating anything can cost you time because Taz completely stops in his tracks and you have to watch the animation of him picking it up, putting it into his mouth, rubbing his tummy, and then doing the animation that comes after that. If you eat the chilies, you get an animation. If you drink, you get an animation. If you blow up, not only does it take your health, but you've got to watch Taz sizzle and then spin to get back to his normal self. It kills a lot of time. But in the developer's defense, it is maintaining the property. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm not I'm not disputing that. I think it's actually it's really nice. I love all the animations in there. I'm just saying from a speedrun perspective, picking up anything is going to cost you time. Absolutely. And I'll agree, but you know what? Nick's not worried about stopping for anything. No, he misses the first couple of chilies, which Neil West says he's not sure is the right move. I'm like, it's totally the right move, Neil West. He doesn't need the chilies. He's not looking to attack any of the enemies. And he gets through the first stage in about 37 seconds, gets into the second stage and takes a very nice shortcut by jumping on top of one of the baddies to get up on top onto the platform, which is not an easy thing to do because if the guy's got his mouth open, you can't land on top of him. So you just end up in this perpetual jumping motion. I know because when I was playing this game i got into that perpetual jumping motion while trying to emulate this shortcut let it out dude let it out <laughs> he grabs some chilies and this is where dominic diamond thinks that it's for bottom burps and neil corrects him like no no, no just plain old mouth burps oh it's that's got chilies. chilies you've got the chilies okay. can we look no, at some got... bottom burps here <laughs> well perhaps mouth burps dominic <laughs> i mean to start with it is mouth burps yes but we've both had spicy curries it works its way through in the end. And this is where we get something we haven't seen in a while on Games Master, some excellent tongue action. And it is close-up tongue action as well, as our player just goes, as he's playing his way through the game. You know what? I'll forgive him the tongue action because this dude knows the route he's going and he is good. He takes a couple of hits. They're not boosting hits, which we've had before, but he doesn't let it shake him. No, absolutely. And it is a tight challenge because by the time we get to the end of level boss, he's got just under 25 seconds left on the clock. And much like we saw on Chuck Rock, the big issue you're going to have here is you've got to wait for an animation cycle to complete before you can deal out damage. So it doesn't matter how fast you are, you've still got to wait for your opportunity to come around. Yeah. So he manages to hit the car three times, three or four times, I think it takes, and has about seven or so seconds left to spare. It was incredibly tight. But yeah, the guy did it. Well played. Solid first challenge. Showed some really excellent gameplay skills. And let's be honest, some excellent memory skills because he knew the shortcut he needed to go and in fact once he got through the initial start of the shortcut he just went through a series of jumps where he was starting the next jump as soon as he'd landed he knew where he was going yeah i really really enjoy these sorts of challenges these proper speed run against the clock challenges now nick the chili was quite impressive there but towards the end you got a couple of wallops from the car there were you worried at all then well yeah but i knew i could still do it 
Okay then, well, Nick, you have won television's most glittering prize, the Games Master Gordon Joystick! And Dominic comes down for the post-match and says the chilies were impressive, but observes he took a few wallops at the end and asks if he was worried at all. And he says he was a little bit, but was still confident he could do it. And I'm not surprised because he bloody did. So, to come back to me playing this game, I actually played it yesterday, uh, just before we recorded this. And the reason I booted it up is because I wanted to attempt this challenge. I wanted to see if I could do the first three stages in under two minutes. So I set the game up, I put my iPad up with a countdown timer on it, and I first just played through the level to remind myself of the route to take. And, you know, in fairness, it didn't, I didn't do it first try, but I did complete this challenge with four seconds to spare on the clock. Wow. Well done. I'm really, really impressed, especially given that you've not played this game for for how long? Probably about 20 or so years at this point. Wowzers. That's that's some good going, man. Well done. And even better, I've got it on video. Oh! (laughs) So that will be going up onto our social media. It can go up on Twitter as well because it's under two minutes, which means Twitter will allow the video to be loaded. It'll go onto our Instagram as well. But I set my camera up on my windowsill so I could record myself and the TV screen. And you can see me bobbing up and down because I take quite a few hits on the last boss. (laughs) And I mistimed loads of my jumps on the final boss as well. I think I could definitely do it in a shorter time than I did. Well, I mean, obviously, because I took so many hits. But yeah, I genuinely thought I was going to bolt it up. So your time was 1 minute 56. Yes. So Adam, if you're listening, <laughs> get your Mega Drive out. 1 minute 56 is the time to beat. This week, it's everything from Milky Ways to Uranus as we study sci-fi games. Well, it's sci-fi games in the review zone this week. Everything from Milky Ways to Uranus. We've got Steve Keen from CVG, David McCandles from Sega Zone, and Gary Witter from The One. Now, if you're listening to this and you think, huh, Well, that last name sounds very familiar. Well, yeah, that's because Gary was the co-founder of PC Gamer and Total Movie Magazine and is most known for being the screenwriter of Book of Eli, Rogue One and Star Wars Rebels. And at the moment for being the host of the first ever in-game Animal Crossing chat show where he's had guests like Elijah Wood and Danny Trejo. What? Danny Trejo's been on the show? No, no, that's not the most surprising thing. Danny Trejo plays Animal Crossing. That's the most surprising thing. <laughs> well, yeah, 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 that's more what I meant, yeah. But no, he's got a storied career, not just writing for films. He was also involved in The Walking Dead by Telltale Games, both the first and the final season, and slightly less worth boasting about Duke Nukem Forever. Uh, yeah. Hey, not everyone can have a hit every time. No. Although very nicely as a connection to the Star Wars universe, we were chatting with Rick Henderson, who was one of the, you know, he becomes one of the uh, commentators for Games Master in later series, particularly, you know, he gets to start in series three. And he told me that he was working at Hewland, working on Games World, where... Gareth Edwards was one of the researchers there who would go on to direct Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. Wow. Yeah. Tell you what, small world sometimes, isn't it? And I just now hope that on the set of Star Wars, the pair of them just wanted to talk about their time working on Games Master and Games World. We've come up with a theory. It's now up to someone to prove us wrong. (laughs) But I do just want to say, going back to the introduction to this section... They clearly hadn't had enough of the Uranus jokes yes. from last week because they throw another one in here, plus also a Milky Way. Mm. No, it is a sex thing. First up, extraterrestrial gun-toting tomfoolery in a console bat with warp speed. There are many words you could use to describe warp speed, but unfortunately, all of them have got four letters. Too much emphasis on graphics. 
too much emphasis on, oh, look what the SNES can do, and very little on gameplay or longevity. At the end of the day, I think that warp speed is a missed opportunity. There's plenty of scope and plenty of potential for a really excellent 3D space combat game on the Super NES. Unfortunately, this just ain't the one. Up first, we've got Warp Speed on the Super Nintendo. Steve says you can describe the game in words, but unfortunately, they're words with four letters. I mean, good is a word with four letters. So is okay. Uh, so is fun if you spell it with two N's. <laughs> oh, oh, he meant sh Yes. Or <laughs> David said it's a bit, ooh, look what the SNES can do, but doesn't really have enough gameplay. And Gary thinks it's a missed opportunity, a very poor 57%. You can tell David works for a Sega magazine. He's keeping the console war. Just the way he goes, oh, look what the SNES can do, <laughs> la di da, with your fancy mode seven. <laughs> They're like, handbags down, mate. I know, I thought the same thing. I think Gary Witter actually has the most balanced opinion on this game, which he says, it's got plenty of scope, plenty of potential, it's a missed opportunity. And unfortunately, this just ain't the one, which I thought was either <laughs> a coincidence or proof that even at that point, he was a blinding writer. <laughs> yeah. Next, the sequel to the definitive sci-fi game, Elite 2 High Frontier. Well, the freedom, again, is the main attraction of this game. You can be... Uh... A ruthless pirate killing everything and scavenging everything, or you can be a, a bum-licking merchant. I was very impressed by Frontier. It's a huge game with a tremendous sense of realism, so I'd recommend it wholeheartedly to anyone. By mixing a substantial amount of space trading and a lot of space shooting, Frontier manages to keep you coming back for more. Up next, we've got Elite 2 High Frontier on the PC. Dave says that the freedom is still there. You could be a ruthless pirate or a bum-licking merchant. Gary's also impressed. And Steve says it will keep you coming back for more. 87% for the Elite 2. Although you'll be waiting for a while because I tell you what, this is January 93. Wasn't released until October. Wow, really? Yeah, released on the Amiga, the Atari and MS-DOS. The first sequel to Elite, which itself was a 1984 game so clearly wasn't in the habit of rushing things. Now, it was followed by another game in 1995, which was First Encounters, but then the next sequel to Elite, called Elite Dangerous, didn't appear until 2014. Crikey! And that was after a Kickstarter campaign where, amongst the various things you could get as rewards, was having a planet named after you. Impressive! Well, obviously, there was a fair amount of passage of time between the original Elite and this one, and indeed this review and the release of this game. There was actually some in-game continuity where you actually played one of the grandchildren of Commander Jameson from the original game. And essentially, you inherit 100 credits and a fighter from him. I mean, most people just kind of inherit a domino set and maybe some gold bullion or, I don't know, Werther's Originals. But you know what? 100 credits in a spaceship sounds pretty good to me. It's things like that that make it unsurprising to me that a Kickstarter was launched for the game many, 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 many years later that had a dedicated audience to it. It kind of reminds me in a way of sort of like the Wing Commander fan base. But it's the sort of game series that when Chris Roberts took to Kickstarter to launch his other passion project that he wanted to do, he brought all of his loyal Wing Commander fan base with him. So yeah, it's unsurprising to me that the Elite has got this sort of thing, particularly if it has got these intricate sci-fi backstories. Finally, penetrate what looks like gaping galactic parliaments in Eye of the Storm. Eye of the Storm puts you in the role of a futuristic Noah with a space freighter as your arc. The idea is to cruise around the planet searching out for undiscovered creatures and intergalactic flora. Graphically, it's very sort of clever, clever PC, you know, rotating 3D graphics, and the gameplay is enormous. 
ultimately, I think either Storm's appeal is limited, not because it's um, a small game, it's actually very large, but because all the things that you can do are not particularly that interesting. And lastly, Eye of the Storm on the PC, which when you look back at sort of what this is, because like, you know, they describe it as you are space knower and you've got to go and find new creatures and stuff, that it feels kind of like a prototype for No Man's Sky. That's exactly what my note said, because... (laughs) It really did. Arguably, going by the review scores, I think this one hit its mark first time round, whereas No Man's Sky (laughs) took a few attempts. I love No Man's Sky. I even love the original No Man's Sky, but that's because I went into it with no expectations. Peter Molyneux had burnt me out years before. I knew better. (laughs) But this was Rebellion's first ever game. Oh, really? And it kind of set them off in a direction. They talked about where their games were going to go after its release. They proposed a sort of a sequel, perhaps set on Mars, and in fact contemplated making that sequel something with with a higher degree of scientific accuracy, but it never appeared. However, Rebellion as a company grew and grew They bought 2000 AD and, in fact, then developed a lot of other very popular games, including some based on that 2000 AD property. Oh, cool. Dominic does say that this game is also our chance to penetrate gaping galactic polo mints, (laughs) which I suspect was not what he originally wanted to say, but the censors went, no, we've already let you have the Milky Way gag. We're not letting you have anything else like that. One last observation, obviously, this game does quite well. Witter rounded up saying that ultimately its appeal is limited, not because it's a small game, but because there's a lot to do and none of it is particularly interesting. Man really was a precursor to No Man's Sky. Oh, yeah. But it's McCandles that says that graphically, it's very clever, clever PC rotating 3D graphics. And I'm like, mate, even when you like something that's not in the Mega Drive, can you stop sounding like such an arsehole about it? (laughs) But no, no feature at all this week. Yeah, why do we get a feature? January, not much to be done. I was trying to think, like, looking back on this episode, like the last time we didn't get a feature, I think we rationalised it, like, well, one of the challenges does feel like it goes a bit long. But none of the challenges here feel like they're particularly long. I mean, like, our last challenge is, you know, it's a maximum of 1 minute 18 like you know each really our first challenge was under two minutes we got a football game up next it didn't really feel like there was anything that went long on this episode i just don't know why we didn't get a feature honestly i can just think it must be timing although i do question why didn't they give a feature on the actual games master magazine yeah they could have taken cameras into the offices although given what we've heard about some of the games magazine's offices Perhaps that would have to be post-Watershed? Yeah, maybe. Maybe they save that for the gore special. <laughs> the horror. <laughs> but as you rightly pointed out, we've got a football challenge coming up next. Indeed we have, so let's find out which football game it is from the Games Master. For my second challenge, I thought we might indulge in a spot of soccer on Super Kickoff. Two one-minute halves, if you please. Should the result be a tie, the matter will be resolved by a penalty shootout. I trust you'll all be treated to a display of exemplary gamesmanship. We're playing super kickoff, two one-minute halves, and it'll go to a penalty shootout if it's a tie, which means it's going to be a tie. Yeah, they definitely blew the finish on that one by saying it was going to penalty shootout, which, you know what, they could have actually left out and then just had it end in a draw and then just had Dominic holding his invisible earpiece and going, oh, wait, wait, no, we've just had a judge's decision. It's going to go to a penalty shootout and the crowd go mild. Yeah, yeah, totally. But let's talk a little bit about Super Kickoff briefly, because when you talk about franchises from this period in time, if you leave aside the FIFA, because that is now tainted goods. Back then, Sensible Soccer and Dino Dini's Kickoff series. Those mm-hmm. were the two. And arguably, Sensible Soccer is the one that retained its dignity. Yes. 
in fact, by the time this game had come out, Dino Dini had already left Anko, so he was no longer directly involved in the kickoff series. He'd gone off to Virgin Games, where he released gold. Oh, that's gold. Yeah. Oh, look, another football game. But Anko carried on without him. They released numerous other editions of the kickoff series going right up until 1997. They tried to resurrect it in the early 2000s, but then at the end of 2015... Dino Dini announced that he was working on a new entry in the series with a control system designed for the use of an analog stick. It was called Kickoff Revival and it was released in 2016 for the PS4 and the Vita. I've never heard of this game, so I can't imagine it did particularly well. Oh, mate, that's where you're wrong. No way, that's where you're right. It was awful. (laughs) (laughs) I played the Vita version and I have never removed a demo so quickly from a handheld. Oh dear. Watching this challenge, given the love that Games Master has for Sensible Soccer, which, you know, we saw reviewed a couple of episodes ago that got that massive 97%, why they're not playing Sensible Soccer on this and they've opted for Super Kickoff instead? Well, you know what? I know the answer for that. Do you now? Yes, indeed, because the answer for that comes from our challenger, apparently. Tammy Edmead actually wrote in to Games Master asking to play this game on the show. Now, young Tammy Edmead wrote to us saying she wanted to play this football game. But who could we put her up against? Well, we've put her up against one of the best. So please welcome Tammy Edmead, who's playing Arsenal and England striker Ian Wright. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Now, now, Tammy, there may be a lot of people sitting at home, a lot of conservative people thinking, what's a girl doing playing a football game? But you play football yourself, don't you? Yeah, that's right. I play for the Arsenal girls team. Right, so you know you know about the players. What's your tactics going to be against Ian? Just a lot of passing and a lot of attacking. Okay then. Now, Ian, you are probably the most feared striker in the Premier League, but how are you going to get the ball to your front men? Uh, I think I'm going to play the long ball game. Uh, right. If that don't work, then I'll have to wait to go to penalties. Okay then. It looks like you're the pre-match favourite slightly, Tommy. That's right. Yes, of course. And Dominic Diamond says... They racked their brains trying to think, who could they get big enough to play this game? And by Jingo, they weren't over-exaggerating because they got Ian Wright. Yeah, legendary football player Ian Wright, top goal scorer for Arsenal just the previous year. And especially poignant because once they come down, Dominic does address the sexist elephant in the room by pointing out there will be some very conservative people at home, and there would have been. Mm-hmm. going, oh, what's a girl doing playing a football game? To be honest, mate, that's just Twitter in 2020. <laughs> really bloody is. <laughs> but that's when Tammy points out that she actually plays football in real life for the Arsenal girls squad, yeah. which is absolutely awesome. And I love that because you know what? That's an immediate bitch slap down to people that are going, girls can't play football. Totally. And also a beautiful tie-in with having Ian Wright. Yeah, who was a hero to her as well. Yeah, I mean, man, this must have made her day. Not sure it made Ian's day, though. He doesn't seem massively into this. I wasn't sure if he was just, you know, camera shy or whatever, but he didn't seem like he was hugely into playing this game or doing this challenge. Maybe it's because he just knew he kind of sucked at it. Spoilers. Yeah. (laughs) And joining me in the dugout is Dave Earlybath Perry from Sega Pro. Now, Dave, you're no stranger to scoring yourself. Have you got any tips for our players today? Well, the difficulty with this game is uh, mastering dribbling because the ball doesn't actually stick to the player's feet. So uh, with that in mind, it's often a good idea to just take a long shot and rely on a goalie's, goalie's mistake. OK, so we've got two one-minute halves. Right, are our competitors ready? Then kick off 
please. Well, before we get to that, Dave Early Bath Perry, no stranger to scoring himself, is in the booth and says that you will struggle to dribble on this game because the ball doesn't actually stay to your feet. And the best tactic is to take long shots, a bit of advice that Ian Wright completely ignores. And a piece of advice that Tammy doesn't ignore, but unfortunately forgets to put any power behind most of the shots. Because going into this game, they both have said that they have some tactics. Now, Tammy's tactics are fairly rudimentary in essentially passing the ball to keep it out of contact with Ian and taking shots on goal. Ian says he's going to play the long game and he's actually almost hoping for it to go to a nil-nil draw to get the penalty shootout. How well these tactics are applied once they're playing the game, debatable. But I did appreciate that they appear to have put some thought into it. Yeah. Because they take their positions... Dominic and Dave are in the commentary box and the game gets underway and essentially what we get is a series of rushes on goal, the majority yeah. of which are in Tammy's possession. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a bit sh- to be honest. Like, it, it just felt like it was just that the ball was just bouncing between the players. It didn't feel like... It, I don't know. I didn't think this was particularly good stuff. It never felt like anyone was getting any momentum whatsoever. I think one thing that really didn't help with it is the crowd... I made a joke earlier about the crowd going mild. They really were. And you'd have thought, even if they weren't that into the game, even if they didn't really care for Tammy winning, Ian Wright is there. Yeah. That's got to be worth something. I was more excited in 2020 for (laughs) Ian Wright being there than most of these kids were. Yeah, the crowd take ages to warm up into this. It almost feels like then Dominic and Dave have to kind of get them to start cheering for the game. Ian is playing in the Arsenal away strip, the yellow, playing up at the pitch and Tammy is in the red. as we approach the the end of the first half. (laughs) Ah, and they just had a kick off and I was like, oh, I love a little floating ball, but it's going to throw it. Straight in the touch. Straight in the touch there. Don't like the linesman, kick the ball in. They certainly don't. And the crowd has started cheering for their favourite here. It's a, it's a real technical match, this. Essentially, possession has probably been 80% to Tammy at this point. She's had the most attempts on goal. Ian's occasionally strayed into her half of the pitch, but it's been a fairly one-sided battle. Yeah, Ian keeps running at the goalkeeper, even though Dave Perry is quite loudly on commentary saying, take the shot. What does he think this is, Star Wars? <laughs> Stay on target. But no, we get to the end of the first half. The first half actually kind of ends with the ball being held by Tammy's keeper, which is a sneaky tactic to use in a football game when you see the <laughs> clock ticking down. I'm not saying I've used it, but I totally have. <laughs> Okay, so this game is very finely poised. We've seen a lot of action, but not too many goals. So if you want to find out who wins between Tammy Edmead and Arsenal and England striker Ian Wright, join us after the break. Well, good morning, Posty. Thank you. You know, you ought to relax a while. Here, see how the thick Cadbury's milk chocolate melts into the dreamy caramel. I love birthdays, don't you? Take it easy with Cadbury's caramel. Sega's new 16-bit super kickoff is coming in May, so how's it going to feel to score your first goal? Well done, mate. How's it going to feel to win the league? And at international level? I love you. Uh, what about the cup? And he's missed. You'll probably never know because this good... Uh, uh, I mean, this good takes Sega. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Shh. Uh, one rabbit, one rabbit, one, one, one. Here comes the farmer with his gun, gun, gun. Have you had your Weetabix? Welcome back to Games Master Stadium, where young Tammy Edmead is holding the First Division's top scorer last season, Ian Wright, to a goalless draw. We're hoping to see much more goal-mouth action this half, so if our two competitors are ready, let's kick off the second half. When we come back from the second half, Dave Perry hopes we can see some goals. Uh, and I've written here, I just wish they were playing sensible soccer. Tammy gets booked for a foul and actually gets a half-decent day shot during this, but we end in a nil-nil draw, and Dave sounds like he comes. We're just running out of time. The referee looks at his watch, and he blows uh, the final whistle. Which might explain why, when we see him a bit later in the episode, he's changed clothes. <laughs> so yeah, we get down to a penalty shootout. They've both got five each. Ian scores his first one. Tammy responds, and then Ian Wright misses. And it's all on Tammy now to just score all of her penalties, which she does. Uh, basically, the way that it works in the penalties as well is rather you pick a side to shoot and the other player picks the way their keeper is going to go, you have like a little tracker along the bottom of where you're going to hit the ball. And you've just got to hit it at the right time, which I, it doesn't feel like the best penalty mechanic I've seen for a, for a football game. But yeah, in the end, Tammy gets the win and she wins the challenge. I, I don't know, man. I thought this was all a bit rubbish, to be honest. It was a bit rubbish. And I'm wondering, had Tammy actually played this version of Kickoff? Yeah. Was she more used to Kickoff 2? Was she more used to the home computer version, maybe? Because for someone that apparently requested to play the game, allegedly, because we do know with Games Master there is a little bit of smoke and mirrors, but for someone that requested to play the game, 
she didn't always seem that comfortable with it. And with this penalty mechanism, you are meant to be able to move the keeper. You yeah. couldn't tell. No, I, to be honest, having never played this game, I figured that the keeper doesn't move. If you take it by this challenge, it would be fair to assume that no, the keeper does not move at all. Take it! No. No. Ian, you, you got the draw like you were hoping for. You went to penalties. But talk us through your goalkeeper. What was he doing? I don't know. He wasn't moving when I was pressing him to move. I don't know what was wrong with him. <laughs> but the way the game went, Tammy played a lot better than me. I think she deserved to win in the end. Okay. So well done, Tammy. You've beaten one of Ian's one of your footballing heroes, isn't he? Yeah. You must... He's brilliant. Oh, that's good. Okay, well, Tammy, because you've beaten Ian, you are the proud winner of television's most glittering prize, the Games Masters Golden Joystick. Yeah, I didn't really get on with it much. And in the post-match, Ian says that the keeper wasn't moving. He wasn't sure uh what was going on with that. But you know, says Tammy played better. And Ian's one of her heroes, and she thinks he's brilliant, which was a really lovely way to end this. I like this challenge for Tammy and I like this challenge for clearly what it meant for Tammy because you know what the crowd may not have been that into it you know what Ian Wright may have seemed a little bit distanced but I hope in her mind it was the best day ever yeah to get to meet one of your heroes and play to some degree football with him so I can see that yet again you've got your hardback in your hand I have indeed. Let's hear what Dominic Diamond has got to say about Ian Wright in the Star Riggers pages of the Games Master official book. When you have one of the greatest goal scorers this country has ever produced coming on the show to play Super Kickoff, you're expecting a bit of a goal feast. Unfortunately, Ian Wright, the Arsenal and England goal machine, was playing against the lovely Tammy, who plays for the Arsenal's goal team, a formidable opponent, resulting in the match being a bit of a midfield stalemate, with both teams having problems controlling the ball. The match went to penalties and Ian's nerves began to show. He'd been quiet beforehand and the occasion clearly got to his goalie who was all over the shop, leading to Tammy to hoist the joystick to consummate goldness in the case of women's footballers everywhere. Game playing skills, star and a half, personal niceness, three stars. It's interesting that Dominic noted he was quite quiet there. I I feel like that is Dominic essentially slyly putting in which of the guest stars he didn't really get on with during the day. Yeah. I don't know, did he want to go to this? Did he want to do this appearance? Because some people do seem happier or happier to be on Games Master than others. The other week, Linford Christie. Bob Holness. Bob Holness. Tony Slattery. Yeah. Loved being there. Hello, Games Master. Welcome up to the helipad. What is it that's troubling you? On the Zelda 3, I cannot get to the second part of the Skull Forest Dungeon. Please, can you help me? At the top left of the forest, you'll find a large animal skull. Burn this with the fire rod to reveal the entrance. Thanks very much. And our first kid is stuck on Zelda 3. He can't get to the second part of the Skull Forest Dungeon. You've got to burn the large animal skull, which will reveal the entrance. Nice and simple. Nice and quick fix. Hopefully this kid will soon be old enough to actually hold a Super Nintendo controller. Because, dear Lord, this boy was tiny. Hello, Games Master. I'm sorry, but that haircut isn't good enough. I'll have another, please. Well, we get a much older gentleman for our second kid, but his hair is too long and Games Master does not like it, and he gets thrown off. Again, we're talking about world building, and apparently the one thing that Games Master will not stand is messy haircuts. I'd be in yeah. trouble, Luke. I'd be in a lot of trouble. <laughs> Dom would be in trouble nowadays. He's rocking the ponytail too. He is. Hi, Games Master. That's better. What can I do for you? 
On Kid Chameleon, I hear there's a warp to the final guardian of the game. Where should I be looking? At the end of Blue Lake Woods 2 area, instead of touching the flag, jump onto the bonus block above and press the following combination. Diagonally, down right on the dry pan, then jump and the special buttons together. You should then warp onto the final boss. Makes a mockery of £39.99, doesn't it? Thank you, Games Master. But thankfully, Games Master has no such reservations about someone that's apparently just walked out of a pantomime. Yeah, she wants to know where the warp to the end boss on Kid Chameleon is. You've got to go to the end of Blue Lake Woods 2 and instead of touching the flag, jump onto the bonus blocks, press down and right and hold the jump and special buttons and you'll be warped right to the final boss of the game, which as Games Master says, takes all of the fun out of everything. Yes, he says, makes a mockery of the $39.99, doesn't it? But (laughs) we already know from Dominic's words himself, that his mum Paula's acting school would often provide kids for the show. I'm willing to put money, Luke, that this girl is one of the kids. She is the thigh slap away from Jack and the Beanstalk of, hello, Games Master, I'm looking for some advice on Kid Chameleon. Can you help me, please? Head tilt. Yes, she is acting. Acting. But you know what? It was kind of funny because this entire segment is just great that grumpy old GM just bitch slapped someone for having messy hair. Man, he's going to hate the mid-90s. I haven't played a lot of Kid Chameleon. To be honest, my only real connection to the game is through Sonic the Comic. Uh, I didn't play the game until much later in life. Me too, because obviously I've been listening to Sonic the Comic, the podcast... And I've been reading the issues to go along with it. And that has been the majority of my exposure to Kid Chameleon. I remember uh, as a kid, through my knowledge of like, you know, Sonic the Comic and not really knowing what the word chameleon was or how it was spelt, saying to a friend, oh, yeah, I really like the Kid Chameleon strip in Sonic the Comic. And he had to correct me to say chameleon and then tell me what a chameleon was, which suddenly made the whole shape-shifting thing make way more sense. Hi, Games Master. Hello, young whippersnapper. For Smash TV on the SNES, is there any way I can make the game easier for myself? There is, my boy. But remember, cheats never prosper. So keep this one to yourself. Select Skill from the Options screen. Now hold down the L and R buttons before pushing up on the joypad. If you've done this correctly, you will hear Bingo! Bingo! And the secret option screen will appear where you can choose to have up to seven lives and seven continues. Thanks a lot. Anyway, Luke, we've got a fourth kid. We have indeed. Well, that's because the second one wasn't really a consultation zone entrance. No, 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 no. Do you remember a few weeks ago where Dominic Diamond said introducing the consultation zone there would be four kids? The line editors f***ed <laughs> it up. <laughs> they put the intro for the Christmas episode in this episode and the intro for this episode in the Christmas episode. It's all topsy-turvy, vice versa. (laughs) He said there'd be four kids. There were technically four kids in the consultation zone. The fact that one was dismissed doesn't prevent the fact that there was a fourth child in the zone. And he is stuck on Smash TV on the Super Nintendo because it's nails. Cheaters never prosper, but however, you can go to the skill section, uh, hold down Eleanor, and it will bring up a secret menu to give you extra lives and extra continues, which are needed. Absolutely needed for Smash TV. Brilliant game, though. Absolutely wonderful oh. game. Dual Stick, inspired by Robotron 2084. And in fact, the game developer literally openly admits that he made this inspired by Robotron and got to work with Robotron's creator on it. Yeah. And I remember playing it as Super Smash TV on the SNES. Little less bloody because Nintendo, but still 
such a good game. I've played the arcade game since, and when you get a proper dual stick setup for it, Oh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's so good. I remember playing it at four quarters in Peckham, I think was the one I played it in there. Me and my friend John played it for his stag do. And it's so much fun in the arcades. But yeah, I remember mostly as, as Super Smash as well. I've got it for the Mega Drive. Not as easy to play on the Mega Drive because of its three-button setup. And as we were talking about in our Bad Influence episode, I can't even imagine what this is like to play on the Game Gear. Well, as we know from our Bad Influence episode bad yeah not great <laughs> very very bad well it's time for our final challenge of the night so let's head on over to games master and find out what it is we're playing back so soon the appetites of the boy racers everywhere will be sated by my last offering for tonight a high-speed encounter on nigel mansell world championship each contestant has one go to record the fastest possible lap time don't forget to fasten your seatbelts. We're revving it up on Nigel Mansell World Championship. Each contestant has got one try to get the fastest time. So Nigel Mansell World Championship was featured quite heavily at Games Master Live because we were read in the uh, magazine there that Nigel Mansell was there. And this is a Gremlin production. So it completely makes sense why this is on the show, given Games Master's connection with Gremlin after they did the Games Master level for Zool. Another thing that makes sense is when we get to the actual challenge, they are playing with a steering wheel peripheral, yes. uh, the Logic 3 freewheel. Yes, which we saw in episode two or so, way, way back when. But which was also packed in and sold as a bundle with the Nigel Mansell game. Aha. Uh -huh. So clearly they were hoping this would sell the game. Yes. Prepare to be disappointed because you know what? <laughs> mm, it's not good. No. For this challenge, we have a bourgeois v proletariat struggle Lennon himself would have been proud of. Please welcome Clive Borden and his boss, Richard Walkling. Welcome, Clive. Welcome, Richard. Welcome to the show. Now, first of all, Clive, you, is it the case with Richard that you guys have to do all the work and he sits in the office practicing games? Definitely that. Um, he's not too good at them, though. So there's obviously a bit of a rivalry here, then, Definitely. Clive. We've got scores to settle. All right, then. Richard, it must be difficult getting good staff these days. It is very difficult. And who do you think is going to win, then? Who's the favourite? Well, we've both had a practice and, you know, it's been close, so it's going to be, I don't know, down to sort of last-minute things and we'll see where. But yes, Dominic Diamond describes this challenge as a bourgeoisie proletariat struggle that Lenin himself would be proud of. He's using his big words today. Clearly the hair of the dog has kicked in and he's <laughs> he's good to go again. They shot some brandy at him with super soakers. Oh, Auntie Marisha is hosing him from the upper decks. <laughs> but yeah, it's Clive Borden taking on his boss, Richard Walkling. Clive says that Richard isn't very good at games. Richard looks very, very young to be this man's boss, but he thinks it will be close. Uh, I like this as well because this is very fun. Uh, Dominic Diamond playing up to the work stereotypes of like, hey, the workers do all the work while the bosses just sit in their offices collecting paychecks. Whereas the you talk to the boss and you're like, these guys, you can't get the stuff these days. He is playing both sides of the coin here. And including when we actually get to the challenge, he directs Clive to take a seat and then says to Richard, and you stand behind him and make sure he's not slacking off. <laughs> and joining me in the pit is Super Pro's Dave Perry. Welcome, Dave. Hi, Dominic. Now, Dave, they're not using a joystick here. They're actually using a steering wheel. Is this going to be easier or harder for them? Well, the idea of the steering wheel is, is that it gives you the feeling of being there and... Um, but for some, some people might find it easier, but, but it's a matter of personal preference, really. Okay, each of our challengers have one lap each. Whoever does the fastest time 
wins the challenge. As you alluded to earlier, Dave Perry has had a change of clothes and a change of magazine he's attributed to. He's in his leather jacket and bandana for this one, so he's in his bad boy look. Uh, And yeah, as you said, they're using that steering wheel, which Dave says can make it easier, but it isn't for everyone. I'm really curious how it can make it easier because one of the great joys of steering wheels in racing games is you're actually handling a physical object that is replicating a real world experience. You have a steering wheel. You maybe have pedals. You you maybe have a shifter if you're working manual. You can get some really, really advanced e-racing setups now. But this is just a wheel floating in the air. Now, for Mario Kart, that's fine. I've played Mario Kart with this sort of wheel, and that's fine. But you know what? That's because that's Mario Kart and not a Formula One racing simulator. And while this game does look quite nice, it looks like it handles like ass. And I wonder if that is just down to the steering wheel that they've got. I'm fairly confident it is down to the steering wheel because as Clive starts his challenge, he is hitting everything. Oh, yeah. And he is all over the road. And even when he's on the straights, he's still steering off into the grass. Yeah, my note I've got written down here is he hits all the cars and then all of the signs. This entire challenge is an infomercial on the perils of drink driving because, dear Lord, they are all over the place. And unfortunately, it just makes the challenge really messy because he makes it round the course just. Yes. Yeah, yeah, in one minute ten. And if you're listening to this and you haven't watched the episode, you might be thinking like, oh my god, they crash all the time. That must make, you know, take ages. Well, no, this game's not got a crash thing in it. It's got no collision detection. You hit something and it will slow you down, but you just carry on. So what you're essentially watching is less Formula One and more bumper cars. Yeah, bumper cars on a track. Yeah, and it's you're right, it's not that great to watch. And I think it's because you aren't crashing and you are just bumping around into things. It's not great. It's not fun to watch and it doesn't look fun to play. No. But you know what? Clive's done. It's time for his boss to have a go. Maybe that'll be better. That's the exact same thing. He does better in like in starting and overtakes a lot of them, but then just starts bumping into all the cars, dropping down places, bumping into signs. That's it. And Dave Perry says that what he's doing is he's tipping the steering wheel forwards too much, which I guess is interfering with the connection or something, and that's slowing him down. Uh, and he finishes with 1 minute 18. I've got to be honest, both challenges felt well longer than the Tasmania challenge we had at the start, which we know for a fact was nearly two minutes and i think what dave perry is saying is he needs to tip the steering wheel forward oh yes. to accelerate and if yeah, you tilt yeah. it back it breaks so they've got gyroscopic controls but you know what those things barely work now 1992 yeah. they didn't stand a cat in hell's chance give them a normal joystick or give them a proper steering wheel setup it just would have made for a better challenge settle down a bit no Clive, that was absolutely brilliant. You completely tanked him. What, what have you got to say for yourself? Well, it's definitely one for the workers. and shows you that it starts with the staff and it ends there. <laughs> All right, well done. Listen, Richard, I bet you're going to dock a day's holiday off him for this. Just get a holiday. All right, <laughs> fair enough then. All right, well, Clive, you may not have a holiday, but you do have a Golden Games Master joystick. Clive says that was one for the workers and Richard said that he doesn't get any holiday, so he can't dock him. Workplace banter. Uh, he may not have any holiday, but he does have a joystick. Lots of clacks and sounds as we end off this episode. Yeah, really, lots and lots of clacks and sounds. I thought someone was going to get sent to the pit, but no, it's just Auntie M letting us know that tonight's dinner is halibut tossed in brine. So mm. seawater. 
Yeah, delicious. It's just a fish in a bucket of water. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so that was episode 15 of series two. Ash, what did you make of it? That's a funny old game, isn't it? Game of two halves, small boys, <laughs> jumpers for goalposts. But no, it really was an episode of two halves. The first challenge, a lot of fun. The reviews, kind of fun. Consultation zone, a lot of fun. Second challenge, as I said, I hope it was great for the challenger. Yeah. I hope that that was a key moment of her teenage years. But the challenge itself was boring. Do you know how yeah. they could have made it more exciting? Play tentable soccer. That, but also not announce the penalty shootout. Yeah, true. Go with the, oh, wait, I've got a judge's decision if it came to that. The other is two-minute halves and edit it. We know they've done it before. Mm-hmm. We know they've cut chunks out because I think if there'd have been a bit more time in each half one of them would have scored a goal because by the time we were getting to the end of the one minute, that's when they were beginning to get more consistent attacks. It happened in the first half and the second half. We only really got strong attacks on goal in the last few seconds, which actually is fairly typical for an England game. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't think much of the episode either. I really enjoyed the first challenge with Tasmania and not just with nostalgia goggles. I just thought because it was a time-based and speedrun challenge, I, I found it very entertaining to watch. But the Super Kickoff 2 challenge was a bit of a let down and the Nigel Mansell World Championship was a real like pants way to end off the show I don't think the contestants were particularly great I don't think the game's particularly great I think it was more of a, a case of scratching gremlins back for you know promotional work I don't think you're alone in your thoughts on the Nigel Mansell game because Computer Gaming World in August 94 said that despite the product endorsement Nigel Mansell is at best a mediocre attempt at a racing simulation and at that point they say it should have been released five years earlier well, you know what? We're playing it at the start of 93, mm. and it still feels like it should have been released five years earlier. Yeah, totally. Maybe they're all hung over. I mean, certainly going by the start of the episode, it appears they all might be a bit worse for wear, but of course, that's TV magic. This just isn't a great episode, and maybe it's because they knew it's the New Year, and New Year's tend to be a little lacklustre after you get past New Year's Day. There's that wilderness period immediately following the holiday period where you don't really do much, you can't really afford to go anywhere, or if you're a kid, you're still playing with the toys from Christmas. Yeah, totally. But it does make for quite a low episode, despite a few very risque jokes and a couple of good gags with the Games Master. I'm going to go 60%. Yeah, I was in that same ballpark. To be honest, I was going to go 57%. Uh, I might bump it up for Tasmania, but yeah, do you know what? I think I'm going to stick in that 57% uh, mode. I, I didn't really like the episode much. It's a shame. We were on such a high from last yeah. week. Such a high. Well, that is all we've got time for on this edition of the show. Thank you all so much for listening and subscribing. If you haven't already, please consider giving us a rating and review uh, from wherever you're listening to this from. You can find us on all the social media channels. We're on Twitter at underconsolepod and on Instagram at under dot console and you can find us over on patreon.com forward slash under console pod where you can get next week's episode one week early and ad free and if you want that episode one week early and ad free and you want a little bit more there's the 10 pound level where you get all other benefits plus a merch pack also you can find us on twitch twitch.tv forward slash under console pod where i am doing regular thursday night streams 
There'll be one half, which is a long play. And at the time of recording, I'm going through Snatcher on the Mega CD. Nice. And then I'm working the second hour into more of a casual hangout and viewer request. And if you want to suggest some of those games, you can find out more information on our Discord server. The links to that are in the podcast description. We're creating a lovely little community there. And to give a little shout out to some of our Patreon backers at that £10 level, where not only do you get the episodes a week early and ad-free, you also get a merchandise bundle. So shout out to Misha, William, Gordon, Rich, Martin, Cliff, and Adam. And even if you're just listening to us, even if you can't back us on Patreon, we appreciate the fact that you are giving us your time and your ears. Thank you all so much for listening. We will see you in seven days' time. Take care. Au revoir. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi. I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.